Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Do you ever find yourself looking around and feeling discouraged by a sinful and violent world seemingly devoid of justice? You ever wake up in the morning and take out your phone or turn on the television, listen to the news, and begin to think to yourself that the stories of corruption and lies and theft and murder and war and immorality are endless and they go on and on and on? It's long been a habit of mine to read on a daily or near daily basis five newspapers from around the world. I find it helps me get outside of my provincialism and see what's happening to people around the rest of God's creation. And there are times when that habit makes me deeply regretful. Because as if the stories are not discouraging enough in our own culture, when you begin to read them all over the world, it can really set you back. Perhaps you read the story earlier this year in the BBC where it was describing how 300 bandits armed with AK-47s mounted motorcycles and began speed riding through the countryside of Nigeria, attacking village after village. 10,000 people were assaulted. Thousands of their cattle were stolen. Their homes were left in a ravaged state. 200 left dead, hundreds more wounded and injured. And you think to yourself, what in the world is going on? As if stealing their cattle were not enough, the gunmen kidnapped 102 school children and eight of their teachers, and they held them hostage for ransom. It's discouraging. Or maybe you've heard of the problem with femicide in England that took place during uh, 2021 and 2022. The murder of women and the violence against women in our world is far too common anyway. But last year, 126 women were murdered at the hands of violent men in England. And they began that count with the sad murder of Sarah Everard, a young woman minding her own business out for a jog one morning when an off-duty police officer stopped her under the auspices that she had committed a crime. He arrested her, put her in the back of his vehicle, assaulted her, and murdered her. It's a terrible story. We don't have to read stories of violence and murder and corruption in Nigeria and England. We can read about strange stories here in our own country. Surely you've been captivated by the story that happened last week. This this insanely ridiculous story of a Federal Express driver who accidentally backs into a small child, and by all accounts, the child is fine. The van bumped into her. But the man, not wanting to get into trouble with the girl's father, decides that the only way out of the situation is to throw the girl into the back of the van and strangle her to death and dump her body miles down the road. And you think to yourself, Lord, what? is happening in our world today that a man who bumps a child with his delivery truck decides that the only way out of that when nothing else bad seemingly happens is to throw her in the back of his van and strangle her. God, is there no hope? Do you ever 
wake up feeling that way sometimes. You look around the world and you think to yourself, what have we gotten ourselves into? Before we point our fingers at the world, I think it's also important that we take a good hard look at ourselves. I certainly know in my own case, it's very easy for me to become a hypocrite and to look at all of these strange stories that are taking place in the world and think all of those godless people, all of those wicked people, all of those violent people, if only they could just do what God would want them to do. And then I have to take a look at my own heart and my own life and realize I don't always do what God wants me to do either. And sometimes we as churches of Jesus Christ around the world, it's, it's very easy for us to point our fingers at, at the people outside the church, the people who don't believe in Jesus, the people that we would expect to commit these acts of violence and murder. And, and we don't stop and look at ourselves and realize that the very same sin that affects the world affects us too. I'm sure you've read the story of the cryptocurrency company that went bankrupt and they're now being sued because of all of the fraud and financial embezzlement and gerrymandering that went on behind the scenes to bilk people out of their money and it makes us angry. But did you know that the average church in the United States will at some point in its history lose $120,000 due to someone within their own congregation bilking them out of that money? I remember a number of years ago when I was teaching a leadership class for TCM where I teach in the year 2014, and I read a report that year that in that year alone, Christians stole $39 billion from other Christians and churches. I mean, it's one thing for us to look at the world and go, how in the world could FTX and Enron and all of these other corporations get away with bilking people out of their money? But churches and Christians do it too. Or what about the story I read just last month where a former elder at a church in Kansas City, Missouri was sentenced to life in prison because he killed his wife who was an associate pastor in the church. I mean, really? We might expect murder, we might expect violence from the people out there, but do we expect it from the people in places like this? Well, we shouldn't, but it happens. You see, I'm, I'm not trying to paint a sad picture of the church of Jesus Christ. I would never do that. There are good churches, good elders, good pastors, good leaders. If I didn't think there were, I wouldn't be standing here today. And yet what I am trying to say is that it's awfully easy for us to wake up in the mornings, to get up every day, to be discouraged by the sin of the world, to point the fingers out there without taking a good look at ourselves. And the reason I bring that reminder to us is because that is exactly the situation and that is exactly the historical and spiritual context in which we find ourselves this morning in the 52nd and 53rd chapters of Isaiah. If you have your Bibles, I'll encourage you to turn over there, uh, open it in your phone uh, if you want to, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But we find that in about the year 740 B.C., God calls the prophet Isaiah to begin a preaching ministry to preach against the world. And if you were to read all of the chapters that lead up to Isaiah chapters 52 and 53, you would discover that Isaiah 
has a tough task. God, in chapter 6, calls Isaiah to preach. And Isaiah agrees to that, uh, that task before he even knows what he's supposed to preach. And he says, okay, God, I've agreed to preach. I've agreed to go out and speak for you. Now, what am I supposed to say? And God says, well, you're supposed to go out and tell people they have eyes to see, but they can't see, and ears to hear, but they can't hear, and hearts that just can't understand. You're supposed to go out and tell the world, I'm tired of all the sin, the violence, and the wickedness. Oh, and by the way, Isaiah, I don't just want you to tell the world that, I want you to tell my people that. Because even though we're going to see that the prophet Isaiah preached against the idolatry and the murder and the violence of Egypt and Assyria and Babylon, Isaiah's fiercest and most numerous sermons are reserved for the people who call themselves by God's name, but who by their actions cannot be distinguished from the world around them. Isaiah will preach against the arrogance of Egypt and the way that they rape and murder women on the battlefield. He will preach against the violence of Assyria and the way they behead men and hang those heads from the trees around the palace of the king. He will preach against Babylon for the way they the kings stand over their city walls and proclaim themselves as gods and demand that people bow down and worship them. He will preach against all of these things. And yet, he comes to the people of Israel, the people who call themselves by God's name, and he says, stop pointing the finger out there and start taking a look at your own heart because you do the very same things. It's a tough situation to be called to. And yet, it reflects God's character, it reflects God's nature that he wouldn't stand for it in a wicked world and he will not stand for it among people who call themselves by his name. As you read through Isaiah, you're going to find that the people of Israel are standing in the temple and they have their hands outstretched to God as they sing praise and worship songs to his name. And God says, I'm not listening. I'm not listening because if you look very closely at the hands of those outstretched worshipers, you can see the stain of blood from where they have murdered the innocent on their fingertips. And God says, oh no, I won't take that from my people. The people come into the temple and in false piety they kneel down before the throne of God and they offer prayers and they ask God, give us wealth, give us peace, give us comfort from our enemies. And God says, I have plugged my ears to your prayers because I know that when you leave this place, you're going to steal from one another. You're going to cheat one another. You're going to kill each other. And I'm tired of hearing the prayers of people who say they're mine, but they don't act like it. Sermon after sermon, chapter after chapter, Isaiah preaches and preaches and preaches to a world of unimaginable horror and violence. And after all of that, again and again, we're left wondering to ourselves, is there no hope? Is there nothing that can be done? I have to tell you, 
that when I read the book of Isaiah from front to back, and I encourage you to do it sometime, it's a long book. I have an awful lot of sympathy for Isaiah. This was a man who was called to preach over the course of about 40 years, and the vast majority of his sermons were always, you're sinners, you're sinners, you're sinners, you're wicked, you're violent, you're murderous, and God is going to punish you, punish you, punish you. That is not what I would consider to be a very happy ministry. In fact, it was a very lonely ministry. And yet it had to be done. Because if we've learned nothing from Isaiah's time, we can at least learn it from our own time. And that is this. If you give wickedness an inch, it will take a mile. Legalize and normalize one so-called small deviance and soon the entirety of the law upholds evil and criminalizes righteousness. And a reading of Isaiah makes that very clear. The kings of the land decided that the places where you could legally worship were the idolatrous high places of pagan gods and criminalized righteousness. In fact, criminalized it to the point that in the waning years of the ministry of this old man, a king by the name of Manasseh found him hiding in a hollowed-out cedar tree and cut him in half because he was sick and tired of listening to him confront the wickedness of the world. But we are fortunate that before that king decided to end Isaiah's life, and before we were left with just sermon after sermon and reminder after reminder of the darkness and wickedness of the world, God told Isaiah, I want you to go and I want you to preach a message of hope. If you can just put yourself into that world for a moment where for 40 years all you had heard was sin or sermons against sin and violence and wickedness and you began to find yourself in a moment of despair, then you can appreciate when finally one day this prophet stood before you and he began to preach a sermon, a fresh sermon, that would blow the breezes of hope into your ears. In just a moment, Jim Godsey is going to come and he's going to read Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 for us. And you're going to hear some words that a, a people desperately needed to hear that they weren't going to be left in violence, they weren't going to be left in sin, they weren't going to be left with the, the punishment of God, but that there was hope, there was a better way. And you're going to see as Jim reads this story to us that the answer to overcoming, overcoming such wickedness does not come by electing or following the right political leaders. The answer to overcoming such wickedness did not exist then, it does not exist now by filling the streets with protests, seeking justice by ironically committing our own injustices. In fact, the key to redemption, the key to hope, and the key to salvation does not lie in anything that we as humans do. Our answers fail, our efforts falter, our endeavors are fraught with peril, and they are stained with false motives. In a world that is filled with darkness, in a world that is filled with violence, in a world that is filled with despair, the only hope that can come into that 
is a hope and a redemption and a salvation brought by God himself. Last week, Monty began to preach a series of sermons in December entitled, What Child Is This? It's a good series. It's a good title, and it's a good text. Because after decades in reading the book of Isaiah, and that's, that's where it stretches, after decades of reading these sermons and chapters of reading these sermons against wickedness and violence, God comes to the people of Israel and he says there's hope and that hope is going to come in the form of a servant. That hope is going to come in the form of a child. And from the time of Isaiah's preaching, almost 3,000 years ago, people all over the world have constantly been asking themselves, what child is this? What child can bring us hope? What child can bring salvation? What child can turn the course of human history? And the answer to that question today is that it is a child of suffering. Jim? Hear the word of the Lord. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet 
it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. What child is this? What child could turn the course of human history away from its wickedness and its violence and its corruption? What child could turn us away from destroying ourselves? This child. This child did no violence, and yet violence was done to him. This child did not open his mouth in lies or deceit. And yet they used lies and deceit to punish him. This child committed no acts of injustice, and yet the greatest act of injustice in the history of the world was done to him. What child is this? The child is Jesus. The New Testament is very clear that this servant, this child that would grow into a man upon whom God laid the iniquity of us all, this child who would redeem all mankind, Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, Israel, the United States, the people of Rochester, the people of Marion Road Christian Church, this child is Jesus. The child who would suffer be handed over to sinful men, would be convicted of false charges, would stand before a false court, and would die a criminal's death. That's the child. When we come to Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 53, it's an interesting place we come to because it's the fourth song in a series of four. Isaiah records four songs, beginning in chapter 40, carrying through to about chapter 55, four songs about this child who is going to save us from ourselves. Monty talked about one aspect of this child in his sermon last week. He'll talk about some of the other aspects of this child in his upcoming sermons. But this song focuses on the suffering of this child, and it's a perfect crescendo. It's a perfect place to end Isaiah's sermons about the hope that will come through this child. He suffered for us. He bore our sins on him. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a good song to sing. It took 700 years from the time Isaiah composed the song until the people of Israel could sing the song and some of them could see in their midst that Jesus was now here. 
And oh, what a song it is. It's a song that's important to me. You see, there's a little bit of irony in my life when you realize that when I was in high school, my father drugged me, and I say drug, he drugged me every Christmas to listen to Handel's Messiah performed by the Omaha, Nebraska Community Choir. It's a great irony because if you knew my father, you knew that there was very little in his character that would lead him to sing in a Christian choir about the Messiah named Jesus Christ. And yet he loved to sing and he loved music and so off he went and off I went and I have to tell you, I bitterly hated it. Then. I bitterly hated it then. But 30 years later, I still can hear the voices of that choir as they sing scene one, part two of Handel's Messiah, All We Like Sheep Have Gone Astray. Oh, I love that song. And I remember how as they come to the end of that song, the different parts of the choir, and you understand I'm not musical at all and I'm not about to sing for you, but the different parts of that choir would focus in on the focal point of Isaiah's song where it reminded people that this servant didn't suffer just for the sake of suffering. He suffered to take our sin and our iniquity upon himself. And part after part from that choir would begin to sing, God has laid on him the iniquity. And then you hear the next part say, the iniquity and the iniquity. And finally, those booming bass male voices would resonate off the rafters and reverberate off the walls, the iniquity of us all. And I still feel those bass voices as they pierced my heart and I realized I, I have a suffering servant that died in my place and bore my iniquity so that I didn't have to. It is one of the greatest songs ever sung and it is a song we continue to sing today and by God's grace we should sing it until he comes again. Friends, we live in a vile and violent world. We live in a world where even people who call themselves by God's name struggle to live a life of God's will. But we don't have to live in despair and we don't have to live in hope because our salvation and our redemption from that violence and corruption does not lie with us. It lies on the shoulders of a babe born in a manger who gave up his place in heaven and humbly came to earth that he might die a criminal's death on a cross in our place. The Bible tells us that just weeks after Jesus fulfilled what Isaiah 52 and 53 sings to us, after he was stricken by God and smitten and afflicted for our iniquities, just weeks later, the Bible tells us that there was an official from the country of Ethiopia, and he was riding in a chariot on a road southwest of Jerusalem down to a city called Gaza on the Mediterranean Sea. 
And as he's riding down there, I have no idea what prompted him to do it. The Bible doesn't tell us. History doesn't give us any indicator. But for some reason, this man riding in his chariot decides to pull out his scroll. They didn't have Bibles quite like we do today. But he decides to pull out his scroll, and of all places, he finds himself reading this song. And the Bible tells us that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Philip the Evangelist appeared beside him, and the Ethiopian eunuch looked at him and said, What am I reading here? Who is this servant that died for me, that took my sin and my shame upon himself so that I didn't have to bear God's punishment? Who is that servant, Philip? And Philip began to tell him, That's Jesus Christ. And so overcome was the eunuch by the fact that someone was willing to die in his place, accept the punishment of God for his sin. The Bible tells us that he stopped his chariot, he immediately got out and was baptized by Philip because he said, I want to follow that suffering servant. It's a good song to sing. But it's a song that expects a response. When we recognize that Jesus is the suffering servant, the child who died in our place, bore our iniquities and our sins, requires a response. Some of you have already made that response. You've already accepted Jesus Christ. You've already submitted to the waters of baptism, just like that Ethiopian eunuch did. But it doesn't mean that we can't turn the scriptures back on ourselves. We can't look at that song one more time and say, am I as guilty of those people of Israel as claiming God by his name but not living like it? Am I living a life of kindness and justice? A life of peace the way that Christ would want me to live? You know, friends, we're called to live that every day. People will say all the time that Christmas is a time for peace and a time of giving. And Christians will respond by saying, well, all the time should be a time of peace and giving. And I want you to know that I can't disagree with either one. But if you do find yourself looking around and thinking, maybe I haven't lived the way Christ would want me to live. I haven't lived with the peace and the kindness and the gentleness in my heart that he requires of me. What better time is there to start doing that again than there is now? It's a perfect time. And if you've never made the commitment that you're going to follow Jesus Christ, that you're going to accept the reality of your sin and your corruption and your violence, but also the reality that Jesus will take the punishment for you. If you've never done that, there is no better time to respond like the Ethiopian eunuch than now. Why wait another day than to say, I want to follow this child? Thank you.